Okay. Good afternoon, everyone. Today is March 21st. I'm going to call the 1 o'clock case, which is Loyalty Ventures, Inc., here on hearings on several matters. Folks, the line is completely unmuted. I'm going to give this one shot, and hopefully it will work. I'm going to ask everyone to please take a look at your phone and place it on mute, and then free to address the court at the appropriate time. I just please be conscious of your phone being on mute. Um, let me go ahead and take appearances, and I would also note that parties have the option to make electronic appearances on my website. Let me start with appearances in the courtroom. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Matthew Cavanaugh from Jackson Walker, proposed co-counsel to the uh, Loyalty Venture Debtors. Uh, joining me uh, on the phone virtually today, Your Honor, is Ms. Jennifer Wirtz from Jackson Walker. I'm also joined uh, by our co-counsel at Aiken Gump, uh, Mr. Meredith LaHaye and Mr. Marty Brimage, and I believe Mr. Brimage will uh, be, will be uh, taking at least the first part of the lead uh, in introducing other Okay. Thank you very much. Anyone else wish to make an appearance? Mr. Higgins, good to see you. Good to see you, Your Honor. Good afternoon, Your Honor. John Higgins and Shane Johnson of Porter and Hedges on behalf of the Brad Parties. Um, joined today by our colleagues at Davis Polk and Wardwell, and I believe Mr. Brian Redman will take the lead. Okay. Great. All right. Again, I'm going to give this one. I'm trying to do this without having to mute the line. Um, I'm asking everyone to please take a look at their phones and place it on mute. Okay. Um, and Mr. Resnick, I see you there. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can, Your Honor. Okay. Can you hear me? Just fine. Thank you. Thank you. All righty. And Ms. LaHaye, I see you there. Can you hear me okay? I can, Your Honor. Thank you very much. Okay. Great. Alrighty. Anyone else wish to make an appearance today? Mr. Duran, I do see you there. I do see the United States Trustee's Office there. So good, af good afternoon to you as yes. well. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Okay. Hector Duran for the, for the U.S. Trustee. Your Honor? Yes. Uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. Tom Howley with Howley Law. I'd like to make an appearance as local counsel on behalf of the ad hoc group of Term B loan lenders. Um, I'm joined uh, by Gibson Dunning Crutcher, who serves as lead counsel. Um, here in the virtual courtroom is uh, Mr. Lee Wilson and Ms. Annalise Gain on behalf of the ad hoc group. Okay. Good afternoon to all of you. And uh, good afternoon, Your Honor. This is Matthew Ferris with Haynes & Boone on behalf of Bank of America's administrative agent. Uh, also with me here virtually are my partners, Eli Columbus and Fred Okay. Good afternoon. Anyone else? All righty. Who wants to take lead? Your Honor, good afternoon. Marty Brimage with Aiken. Here is proposed counsel for the debtors. Good afternoon. Um, we're going to have three presenters today. Um, we'll start with Meredith LaHaye, who you met last week, and she'll provide a case update and present the gift motion. Okay. After that, we'll have Rachel Biblo-Block, who this court now knows, and she will present on the disclosure statement and the plan motion, as well as the current motion after that. Okay. Third, Your Honor, I want to introduce you to a junior litigator of ours, Amelia Cooksey. Um, Amelia, you can wave your hand. There's so many of us. And Ms. Cooksey will present the evidence in support of the disclosure statement and plan, as well as the current motion. 
Okay. And I thought the court would be particularly interested in noting that Ms. Cooksey just very recently finished a clerkship with the Honorable Mark Mullen in the Northern District of Texas. And she has now joined our litigation group where she wants to focus on uh, litigating in bankruptcy court. That's fantastic. So, That's Your Honor, you graciously signed her... You graciously signed her ProHoc uh, order this morning when we found out she wasn't yet admitted to the Southern District of Texas, but we are working diligently on that, and so is she. So we appreciate that. No, she can that, be. I'll turn it over to Ms. LaHaye. Okay, thank you, Your Honor. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah. So the, yeah, the only question I really have for Ms. Cooksey before, at some point she'll have to let me know whether – She's still a Longhorn fan, or if she decided to switch over to Georgia after she went to law school there. But that, that's another question for another point. She can tell me where her loyalties lie. At some point, we can figure that out. So, all right, Miss LeHay. I have to put her under oath for that. Miss <laughs> LeHay, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Meredith LaHaye with Aiken, proposed counsel to the debtors, and thank you, Mr. Brimage, for the introduction. Uh, before I begin with the first item on the agenda, and as Mr. Brimage foreshadowed, I do want to provide the court with a brief status update. Okay. As the court no doubt observed at our first day hearing, uh, this has the potential to be a very contentious Chapter 11 process, notwithstanding the debtors' stated goal of moving expeditiously to a confirmation hearing and establishing a trust vested with authority to pursue claims and causes of action against the bread parties. Not surprisingly, uh, bread had a number of concerns with respect to our strategy with, uh, as to these cases. And until last night, the debtors and their advisors had been, begun to operate on the assumption that every hearing in this case, including this one, was going to be contested as to the bread parties. I'm happy to report, however, Your Honor, that last night, the debtors, the consenting lenders under our support agreement, the pre-petition agent, and the bread parties reached a settlement of what I will characterize as a settlement of the Chapter 11 case issues, a connection with which bread has agreed, among other things, not to object to the relief we're seeking at today's hearing and not to object to confirmation. The terms of the settlement have been incorporated into a revised form of dip order, uh, which I'll address in a second, and in a combined plan and disclosure statement. And Your Honor may have seen those red lines come across this morning. I did. I'm going to briefly summarize the six paragraphs that comprise the settlement. Uh, but if, of course, as Your Honor has probably now seen, there are some technicalities uh, and nuances in the language uh, that I may summarize over. Uh, as those technicalities are, are fully set out in the documents themselves. Point one, nothing contained in the or plan documents or the orders relating to those documents will impair or eliminate any alleged direct non-dreadful claims. Hold on a second, Ms. Lay. Ms. Lay, hold on a second. There's someone, again, I'm really asking everyone to put their phone on mute. I've got 105 people on the phone, and I'm going to have to start blocking it. And there's someone, If even if you get emails, I can hear it. Uh, so unless you're Ms. LaHaye, I'm just going to ask that you please put your phone on mute. The next time, I'm going to have to mute the entire line, and uh, it's going to just we'll have to go through all this again. So, uh, Ms. LaHaye, why don't you start with your pre with the uh, summary again? Very good, thank you, Your Honor. Uh, point one: Nothing contained in the relevant DIF or plan documents or the orders relating to those documents will impair or eliminate any alleged direct non-derivative claims that the bread parties may assert against the pre-petition secured parties or any defenses or arguments that the bread parties may have in connection with the litigation that will be pursued by the trust. Point two, 
the challenge period will be told until 30 days following the conclusion of any uh, liquidation commit, liquidation actions by the debtors and liquidating trust against any of the bread parties, solely to permit the bread parties to seek standing to commence claims or causes of action against the pre-petition secured parties, and solely to the extent that the bread parties are found to be liable to the debtors or the liquidating trust. There are additional limitations and mechanics surrounding the tolling of the challenge period that it will defer to documents on. Point three, to the extent that the bread parties have any allowed class four claims, those claims will be permitted to share in any distributions made on account of what had been unencumbered assets, aside from the proceeds of litigation against bread. Number four, the bread parties reserve their rights to object to, among other things, the debtor's ultimate determination as to which bread contracts to assume and which to reject, and all other parties similarly reserve their rights. Point five, for the sake of clarity, bread retains the right to opt out of the third-party releases proposed in the plan. And point six, the bread parties agree not to object to confirmation or approval of the dip at either the interim or final hearings. Your Honor, before I carry on with the balance of the presentation, it may make sense for me to pause here and ask the other parties to the settlement to just confirm that I've accurately represented those terms, uh, and to the extent folks want to make any other clarifying or additional comments, it may make sense for them to do so now. Anyone wish to be heard? Uh, yes, Your Honor. Uh, Mr. Resnick, why don't you start? I heard you first. Um, thank you, Your Honor. Brian Resnick of uh, Davis Polk and Wardwell for the, uh, uh, the bread parties. Um, so I can confirm that uh, Ms. LaHaye uh, did correctly uh, summarize at a high level um, the terms of the agreement. Obviously, the details are important and are set forth in, in the documents, and those will govern over, uh, over any description at this hearing by, uh, by any party. Um, and I, I just wanted to say that, you know, we, we are supportive of the debtors moving quickly through this bankruptcy case. This could have been a very contentious case, but I think we got what is really important to, uh, to the bread parties um, out of the settlement, which is to ensure that um, in the event we are sued by the liquidating trust, uh, which we hope to anticipate, um, that really nothing that's going on in these cases is is really going to impact our ability to our, to defend ourselves, and um, I think there's you know there, there's no mystery here. Um, we, we certainly believe that uh, that the spin left LBI a totally healthy and solvent company, and the downfall was fallen uh, was uh, was the uh, result of uh, world events and other actions that happened um, following the spin, um, and the spin was done um, basically funded by uh, the lenders who are uh, going to be the uh, primary beneficiaries of the trust here. And so given all the releases um, and the stipulations and the challenge period that set forth in the dip order and the plan, we wanted to make sure that um, the whole line of defenses about um, uh, about the lenders having funded this transaction and therefore not being proper uh, beneficiaries of the, um, uh, uh, you know, of, of the proceeds of any claims here, and they're not seeing any claims here. Um, we wanted to make sure that those were um, those were fully preserved, and that's that's really the crux uh, of the settlement. And um, uh, you know, Fred looks forward to defending itself uh, against the actual merits of the claims. We don't believe there are any, um, but to the extent any are, are even potentially meritorious, um, this preserves um, all the arguments that would be raised uh, in connection with uh, the lenders having uh, participated in the transaction by funding it. Thank you very much. Anyone else wish to be heard? 
Yes, Your Honor, if I may, this is Annalise Gaines of Gibson Dunn. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ms. Um, Gaines. I'd also like to note... I'd also like to note, uh, for Your Honor, that my colleague, uh, Scott Greenberg, is also on the line, um, along with, with Mr. Lee Wilson, who is previously, whose appearance was previously noted. Um, Your Honor, for the record, I represent the Term Loan B Lender Group. Um, as Ms. LaHaye mentioned, uh, we are a part of the consenting lenders that are signed up to the PSA, which I believe is now at uh, over 72% uh, in terms of, of lender support. Um, I, I think from our perspective, Your Honor, there's just a key, a couple of key points that, that I'd really like to hit on, which is why the, the lenders uh, were able to come to an agreement on this language and why we view it as, as a constructive uh, piece of the process. Um, so as Ms. LaHaye mentioned, first, this, this settles what we anticipated to be a contested uh, hearings throughout the case, so there's an aspect of streamlining and efficiency for the Chapter 11 cases. I think there's no hiding the ball, but the plan obviously anticipates a, a trust that would be formed to pursue claims against threat. And so we knew that there would be litigation, but the goal was to have that litigation um, come at an appropriate time when that trust was established on the effective date. And so we really believe that this language does that. Um, to Mr. Resnick's point, you know, the, the lenders are, I'm sorry, Bread is preserving their, their claims and defenses, whatever those may be. Um, but what this language does is, is maintains the status quo for today. And so, importantly from our perspective, Your Honor, um, first, this language does not concede standing. Um, so while the, the challenge period for, for a narrow set of remedies is told, um, at the point in which uh, if Fred wishes to pursue um, the, the challenge period first, it, it would have to seek standing. Um, so, so that's a key point from our perspective. And then second, there's, there's a couple of conditions precedent to, to any uh, ability for Fred to utilize the, the preserved challenge. So first, Fred would have to be found liable um, in the claims and causes of action that are being brought by the, the liquidation trustee. Um, and then second, the, the remedy that is being preserved for bread is narrowly tailored um, to, to just be um, arguments um, that, that whatever bread owes or, or needs to pay to the trust can, effect, can effectively be offset or, or reduced. Um, so, so nothing further than that, and, and that's how we crafted the language. And so ultimately, Your Honor, um, with this language and these mechanics in place, we believe that we've paved a path for the trust um, and the trustee when, when that trustee is appointed to pursue the substantive claims. And, and ultimately, Your Honor, I, I'd like to underscore kind of a key point, which is the lenders here are the most significant creditors of the estate. We don't think that there's any basis for Bread to be given standing to pursue claims against uh, the lenders, and particularly derivative claims against the lenders. Um, you know, we, we believe that uh, the company's proposed releases against us make sense um, because the lenders lack any involvement in, in organizing the, the same transaction uh, and otherwise have, have proven to be cooperative parties in the restructuring and bankruptcy process, and that's not only with respect to the United States restructuring um, but that's also with respect to the restructuring up in Canada and the brand loyalty sales uh, that we previously consented to pre-petition in the Netherlands. Um, so ultimately, Your Honor, again, 
the, the lenders don't view and don't believe that any claims exist against them, um, notwithstanding the language that we negotiated. And, and frankly, the lenders have experienced significant unexpected losses. Um, Bread is, is not similarly situated. Bread received over $750 million uh, extracted from royalty ventures in connection with this spin. Um, so ultimately, we view the language as, as a resolution that's reasonable and effective um, so, so that the trust can get to the, the pursuit of the substantive claims against Bread. And happy to answer any questions you may have, Your Honor. No, I, I understand what we are. I understand what's happening, and I very much appreciate the clarifications and the statements. And your honor, for the record, this is Matthew Ferris of Hands and Green on behalf of Bank of America, the administrative agent. I, I won't belabor the point. Um, you know, we we echo the comments of the ad hoc group. Uh, I will just just a couple of things. One, um, to to further support one point that was raised, um, the transaction support agreement has now been signed by lenders representing over seventy percent of the outstanding uh, and was approved in the uh, CCAA proceeding yesterday. Uh, and then as has been discussed. Um, the language that is reflected in the proposed orders that were submitted on the interim dip order and conditional approval and disclosure statement is extensively negotiated. Uh, the agent is supportive of the entry of those orders with that, that language and um, the general summary of those, those uh, agreements by Ms. LaHaye uh, is consistent with our agreement. Okay. Thank you. Ms. LaHaye, sounds like you correctly... Uh, summarize the issues and everyone's added their little color to it. So where do we go here? Very good, Your Honor. I've just X'd out my, my notes to remind the court that uh, we have updated percentages for the transaction support agreement. I think that's been covered. So I think that does wrap uh, the status conference portion of my update. Unless Your Honor has any questions, I propose to move into the agenda. Okay. Thank you. Very good. First up is the dip. Uh, as previewed, the debtors are here today seeking interim approval of a consensual priming intercompany dip facility and continued consensual use of cash collateral. The dip motion was filed on Friday, March 17th at docket number 116. Before I move, Your Honor, to the substance of the dip motion, I would like to move into evidence exhibits 120-1 through 120-4 on our witness and exhibit list. And those four exhibits are the declaration of Brian Fox in support of the dip motion, the CCAA dip term sheet, the U.S. dip term sheet, and the approved budget. Any objection? Okay. They are admitted for purposes of today. Thank you. Thank you, Your Honor. By the dip motion, the debtors are seeking approval of an intercompany dip facility that would provide up to $15 million on an interim basis and up to $30 million in the aggregate upon entry of a final order in addition to the continued access to cash collateral. A few notes on the identity of our DIP lender. Uh, our DIP lender is Affiliate Loyalty One Company, a non-debtor subsidiary that owns and operates the company's air miles business and is currently, as Your Honor knows, subject to its own proceeding under the CCAA in Canada. Yesterday, Loyalty One appeared before the Ontario court and received approval of the $70 million DIP financing from Bank of Montreal as Your Honor, I think, knows at this point, BMO has authorized Loyalty One to use $30 million of the $70 million for which Loyalty One received approval yesterday uh, to fund the intercompany dip loans here to the debtor, subject, of course, to this court's approval. As to the terms, Your Honor, the terms of the dip facility are reasonable and fair, uh, in our opinion, obviously, in light of the circumstances of these cases. 
there are a few features that I would highlight for the court. Uh, first, as noted, this is an intercompany dip loan. Second, the pre-petition lenders are agreeing to be primed by the intercompany dip loan. Third, there is no requirement in the dip documents that the intercompany dip loan be repaid before our proposed plan can go effective. And fourth, there are no incremental fees associated with the incremental dip loan. Additionally, pursuant to the proposed interim order, the dip lender will be granted automatically perfected senior priority dip lien and super priority claims. Yeah, I won't belabor the record, but the interim order also contemplates terms of continued use of cash collateral. I would say that those terms largely mirror the interim cash collateral order we obtained in connection with the first day hearing. Of course, you have stipulations. Um, we do have a challenge period in the dip order. Uh, that does have an additional toggle, I would say, given the fact that these cases are on a short track. Um, we do have a challenge period uh, that is set to expire, among other things, as to the earlier 10 days prior to the initial date scheduled for the confirmation hearing. And as you will hear when we get to the disclosure statement, um, we are contemplating a confirmation hearing towards the end of April, uh, and I believe we have a date from Your Honor. Any releases of the pre-petition agent and the pre-petition lenders that are contained in the draft form of order will not be effective until entry of the final order. As to the, the use of the dip proceeds and cash collateral, we are seeking to use those funds for general corporate purposes and to fund the costs and expenses of the Chapter 11 cases. Importantly, Your Honor, we are asking uh, that Your Honor approve the dip as soon as possible today because if Your Honor is so inclined, uh, we are hoping to get the dip order entered promptly so we can get access to the funds, hopefully today, because the company uh, will need to fund payroll as soon as tomorrow. Uh, so obviously that is one of the more immediate uh, uses of the proposed dip facility. More generally, the dip facility will provide the runway necessary to facilitate the value-maximizing transactions that are contemplated by our transaction support agreement. And if the Chapter 11 plan is confirmed, it will also be utilized to fund distributions under the proposed plan. Your Honor, this morning, as I referenced, the debtors filed a proposed interim dip order that has been revi revised to reflect a handful of changes. It's been revised to reflect the terms of the bread settlement that I walked the parties through uh, a bit ago, and those changes are set forth at paragraph 45 of the revised order that's been filed at docket number 126. Uh, and then there are also a few changes that have incorporated to reflect some informal comments we received from the Office of the United States Trustee and those comments are incorporated at paragraph 14C, where we added language reserving U.S. trustees and any committee's rights to request additional information regarding uh, lender advisor invoices. And paragraph 34, where we've provided that the contemplated 506C waivers will now be subject to entry of a final order as opposed to entry of an interim order. Um, with that, Your Honor, uh, I think the only other thing I would ask from the court with respect to the proposed interim uh, would be a final hearing date, uh, and otherwise, Your Honor, I would ask that you enter the order. Let me just, before I open it up, what date were you thinking about for the final? Yeah, yeah I've, been, I've been told, I think our, our final hearing in respect to the first day motions has been set for April 4th, uh, and I think that might be a little tight, although if, if everyone's in agreement, we'd be happy to go forward with the, four, with the final on April 4th. Uh, the confirmation hearing that I think we're going to be seeking approval of is April 27th, and I've been told by the financial advisor that that is too long. So I would ask either for April 4th, if folks are okay uh, with that date from a notice perspective, and if not, something between the 4th uh, and the 27th. Okay. Well, let, me, let me hear from other parties then. Who wishes to be heard in connection with the 
interim dip order. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Analyst Gaines again for the record of Gibson Dunn on behalf of the Term B Lender Group. Um, very briefly, Your Honor, just, just um, uh, addressing the court um, to say we we are the, the consenting lenders, again, under the, the TSA. We are consenting to the relief being sought, including the subordination of our liens and claims in, in favor of this intercompany debt. And again, as I previewed at the hearing, uh, I believe it was a week and a half ago now, um, doing this in the context of a comprehensive restructuring agreement, um, again, which includes Canada and, and the brand loyalty sale in the Netherlands, um, and, and to stand and say, uh, happy to answer any questions your, your Honor has. We, we believe that the release being sought, particularly with respect to adequate protection, is within the, the range of, of reasonable, and, and to the extent there's a market for prime and gifts, we think it's um, you know, a, a standard adequate protection package. Um, and to just reiterate the point that Ms. LaHay made, which is that the stipulations Your Honor approved uh, at the prior hearing, um, we're not asking that those are um, reordered. Re we're not asking for the challenge period to restart, but we did want to make sure those were included in the order to the extent that anyone uh, is new to the case and comes and, and is trying to uh, figure out exactly how to utilize the, the challenge period, that those are um, available for them. So unless Your Honor has any questions, uh, that, that's all I have from the, the Trinity Lender Group. Thank you. Anyone else? Let's see. Okay. Um, before the court is a motion seeking the use of cash flow and also an interim dip order, um, I'm going to find that um, today, notice of today's hearing has been sufficient and there's been proper service of the relief requested in the motion. I'm going to Note, um, the court did have an opportunity to review very carefully um, before today's hearing um, the uh, changes uh, to the proposed order that was filed um, and that are now reflected on the docket today. Um, I'm going to approve the, the relief requested. I believe it's appropriate. In the circumstance, I believe the debtor has satisfied uh, the business judgment, and I do note, and I have read uh, the declaration filed in support of the relief requested today. Um, find that the I did take a closer look at, at everything in light of who the tip lender is under the circumstances, and also the pace of these cases. I think um, that required me to to really sit back and and think about this and and give it a hard look to make sure. Uh, that it was appropriate under the circumstances, but I'm comfortable with, with uh, where things are. I take greater comfort knowing that um, the parties have agreed to the relief and that there's no objection here. And, and I do note for the record that, um, you know, uh, the court had been preparing uh, for a very contentious uh, potential fight, and, and I'm happy to note that um, it's not there, which means that a lot of work went into this, and I... Um, take into consideration all of the statements that were made earlier. So I have reviewed the proposed order that was filed, um, and I'm going to sign it. I do need to add, and it's at docket number 126. Uh, I am going to sign this now, and I'm going to get it on the docket. So, Ms. Lahey, I, 
it's going to hit the docket really fast uh, after I sign it, but really fast could mean 10 to 15 minutes after. I don't know how long it takes in cyber world, but you'll have it, uh, you know, before 2 o'clock uh, for sure. And, That's and, wonderful. Thank, um, thank you very much, Senator. I'm going to set the final order, uh, the final hearing uh, on April 4th at 10 a.m., and I'm going to set the final objection deadline on March 31st at 4 p.m. We already have a hearing set on that. And this is, cons you know, I'm going to give everyone a fair opportunity. So that's why I'm signing it now. Uh, let the notice folks get notice out. Um, we'll be able to proceed. I have signed the order. Um, and it looks like it's got all the attachments to it, which makes my life a lot easier and allows me to sign this and really tell you that it's going to hit the docket really fast. So um, I'm going to ask. Ms. Saldana, it is going to go to docketing right now, so please enter the order at 126 as soon as you get it. Okay, where do we go next? Thank you very much, Your Honor. We very much appreciate that. Uh, at this point, I will turn the virtual podium over to Ms. Biblo-Block to present the balance of the agenda. Okay. Ms. Block, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you hear me all right? Just fine. Thank you. Uh, for the record, Rachel Deborah Block with Aiken for both counsel for the debtors. Next up, we're seeking conditional approval of the combined disclosure statement and joint Chapter 11 plan of Loyalty Ventures, Inc. and its debtor affiliates pursuant to Chapter 11 of the Bankruptcy Code, which was filed on Friday, March 17th at docket number 118. We filed an amended version this morning at docket number 127 which respects the terms of the settlement that Ms. Bahay already discussed. On Friday, we also filed an emergency motion and proposed order granting conditional approval of the disclosure statement as well as approving solicitation procedures, which is at docket number 119. And again this morning, we filed an amended version of the proposed order, which addresses comments from the United States trustee, and that's at docket 128. As already noted, we filed both the combined disclosure statement and the emergency motion with the support of our lenders. At a high level, the plan provides for the establishment of a class of convenience claims that consists of general unsecured claims in the amount of less than or equal to $1.5 million, and to the debtor's knowledge, that is the entire universe of general unsecured claims. The plan establishes a liquidating trust to make distributions to holders of class 3 loan claims and any holders of Class 4 allowed general unsecured claims consistent with the settlement with spread included in the plan okay. provides for all estate assets, including preserved estate causes of action and claims, to vest in the liquidating trust, and for the trust to pursue such claims for the benefit of the holders of a liquidating trust interest. And ultimately, the plan provides for the wind down of the debtor entities. Given the lender's support for the plan and the goals for these Chapter 11 cases, the emergency motion requests approval of an expedited timeline for confirmation that meets the milestones in the transaction support agreement and reduces administrative expenses and professional fee burn. We confer with Your Honor's chambers, and it appears Your Honor has April 27th available for confirmation. On the assumption that April 27th is available, we built out a proposed schedule with various dates and deadlines, which are, of course, subject to change based on Your Honor's availability and and rulings. Additionally, based on comments to the motion from the United States trustee, 
In the revised order, we are proposing some modifications to the timeline to provide additional time for parties to vote on and object to confirmation of the plan. We greatly appreciate how quickly the United States Trustee's Office provide us comments on the motion and work with us to address those comments. As previewed, the key change to the timeline is moving the voting deadline and the deadline to object to confirmation from April 17th to April 20th. We are ready to commence solicitation this week with all materials served by Friday and anticipate most, if not all, of the solicitation materials will be served by email and that most, if not all, voting will be done by e-ballot. In advance of the voting deadline and the plan objection deadline, and no later than April 13th, the debtors file a plan supplement that includes, among other things, a liquidation analysis and a form of liquidating trust agreement. The debtors believe that the combined disclosure statement and plan should be conditionally approved. We believe the disclosure can, together with the information to be provided by the plan supplement, contain adequate information as defined by the bankruptcy code. We also understand that today is only for a conditional approval of the disclosure statement and that we will be seeking final approval at the confirmation hearing. In support of conditional approval of the disclosure statement, my colleague, Ms. Cooksey, will be handling the evidentiary portion of the presentation for this motion. And I'd like to pass the podium to her at this time, unless Your Honor has any questions before that. No questions. Ms. Cooksey, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Your Honor. Can you hear me okay? Just fine. Thank you. For the record, Amelia Cooksey with Aiken as proposed counsel on behalf of the debtors. So first, Your Honor, I'd like to let you know I'm still a longhorn fan. He was not converted to a bulldog fan. It helps the motion. Time, I'd like to... It helps the motion. <laughs> <laughs> at this time, I'd like to call Mr. Charles Horn with the debtors to testify in support of the motion. Okay. Uh, oh, Your Honor. Good afternoon. Yeah, let me have you. Are you going to examine Mr. Horn, Ms. Cooksey? Yes. Okay. Mr. Horn, will you raise your right hand, please? Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, I do. All righty. You can put your hand down. Uh, and you understand that the oath that you took is the same that you would take if you were live in the courtroom here with us? Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Ms. Cooksey, you may proceed. Good afternoon, Mr. Horn. What is your current position with the debtors? President and CEO. Thank you. And how long have you been in that position? Since November 2021. And are you familiar with the combined disclosure statement and plan? Yes. And you understand an updated version was filed this morning. Are you familiar with that updated version? Yes, I reviewed it. And did you assist in the preparation of the combined disclosure statement and plan? Yes. And are you familiar with the debtor's operations? Yes. And are you familiar with the debtor's books and records? Yes. And are you familiar with the transaction support agreement and the transactions contemplated by the agreement? Yes. And so, based on your familiarity that you just described, do you believe that the proposed combined disclosure statement and plans contain the type of information necessary for creditors to make an informed decision on how to vote on the plan? Yes, I did. Thank you, Mr. Horn. Your Honor, that concludes questions I have for this witness. Does anyone have any questions for Mr. Horn? Right. Mr. Horn, thank you for your time. Thank you, Your Honor. Thank you, sir. 
that concludes the evidence we have, so I will pass it back to Mr. Goldblatt. Okay. Thank you. For the record, Rachel Goldblatt, agent, proposed counsel for the debtor. Your Honor, as I said earlier, we filed a revised proposed order at docket number 128, which incorporates comments received from the United States trustee, which relates to the timeline for the confirmation process. And the United States trustee's comments, along with the bread settlement, are incorporated throughout the existence of the order. Unless Your Honor has any questions, we would respectfully request that the revised proposed order be entered. Anyone wish to be heard in connection with the conditional disclosure statement motion? Okay. Uh, I would note, uh, again, it was filed at docket number 119, um, seeks conditional approval of the disclosure statement. Um, I had the opportunity to review the disclosure statement um, and the relief requested therein, um, and also the revised proposed dates uh, and the order filed at docket number 120. Um, Looks like it's at 128. Uh, I want to get that right. Um, those dates work for the court. Uh, if you got them from my case manager, then they, they work for me. Um, so I'm also going to approve um, the relief requested therein. Uh, I'm going to find that there's uh, the relief requested is appropriate uh, today. I'm also going to find that um, there's been proper service and notice of today's hearing. Um, the relief requested uh, is um, consistent with um, the bankruptcy code uh, and what, what's required there under 1128 and 105 and also our complex procedures. Um, I would note, um, and I know sometimes folks may wonder, or I'll just say it, I, I think um, Judge Jones and I, and I appeared in front of him for, for many years, and I've been obviously even before I got on the complex panel, I was still in close contact and listening. Uh, I, I think he and I agree um, very much the same about the use of conditional approval of disclosure statements um, and, and how we view disclosure statements. I think part of that is probably because I appeared in front of him for so many years and uh, some of that stuff probably got ingrained in me, but also I, I think he's right uh, on a lot of these issues. So I'm very comfortable proceeding um, on conditional approval of the disclosure statement for Today, um, I find, I've reviewed the solicitation package. I've reviewed the ballots, everything very carefully. I think it's consistent uh, with what is normally approved in our district. But more importantly, uh, it's also um, permissible under the bankruptcy code and the bankruptcy rules. Um, I, I did take an incredible amount of time and, and read this very carefully. Uh, and so I'm comfortable um, with um, the relief that is requested and also the proposed form of order. Uh, I will say, um, I know, know when it started that folks started using change pages only, but uh, it's a really smart idea. I think it's very helpful. It allows me to kind of focus in, uh, especially if things get filed close to a hearing. Uh, I know sometimes that's not possible, and I know sometimes with exhibits uh, that gets crazy. But news like this, I think it's really smart, uh, especially for, for me to be able to kind of see. So... Um, and again, use your judgment uh, on when it's when it's smart to use and, and not. But I think for, for purposes of kind of looking at it this way, I think it's a really smart idea. So I appreciate it. I have signed the order at 128, and I'm approving the 
dates therein, and they will be locked in on my calendar. And I would note um, that the interim order at, is now on the docket as well. Ms. Lai, so you, you got what you need, and let folks know that they can, payroll can be commenced. Thank you very much. Ms. All righty. Where do we go next? All right, Your Honor, next on the agenda is the CURT motion. On Tuesday, March 14th, we filed an emergency motion seeking approval of a key employee retention program for certain of the debtors' non-insider employees. That motion is at docket number 105. The debtors' most important asset is undoubtedly their employees. Debtors have a relatively small workforce, but each person has significant responsibilities and performs key functions for the debtors and their subsidiaries. In recognition of the key roles played by the employees, the debtors' management team, along with their advisors, developed a curve to address the debtors' unique circumstances. The plan contemplates the wind down of the debtors, but the debtors' employees are critical to the Chapter 11 cases and the consummation of the global transactions agreed to in the transaction support agreement. Given these facts, the debtors' employees would be difficult, if not impossible, to replace. The CURP was designed to provide compensation to motivate employees to remain with the debtors through the Chapter 11 cases and the wind-down. The CURP includes 10 non-insider employees and contemplates retention payments in the maximum aggregate amount of $703,617. Retention payments are contemplated to be quarterly in equal installments based on continued employment with the debtors with the first payment on or about March 31st. Each participant's payment is generally equal to the sum of the employee's applicable target annual incentive plan bonus and the fair value of the employee's 2022 long-term incentive award as of the grant date, with a minimum retention amount of $40,000. If a current participant's employment is terminated for any reason other than cause, then the installment for the quarter during which the employment was terminated plus the next quarter will be accelerated and paid subject to the execution of a general lease of claims in favor of the debtors. Your Honor, unless you have any questions, I'd like to again turn over the podium to my colleague, Ms. Cooksey, to handle the evidential portion of the motion. Okay. Ms. Cooksey? Again, for the record, Amelia Cooksey with Aiken as proposed counsel for the debtors. At this time, I'd like to proffer the testimony of Brian Cumberland at Alvarez and Marshall in support of the motion. Okay. Is Mr. Cumberland somewhere on this camera? I gotta find you. No, oh, I see you there, Mr. Cumberland. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can, Your Okay, Honor. let me have you raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes, I do. Okay. Uh we're gonna proceed by proffer. Uh is going to proffer um, your, your testimony, so I'm going to ask that you please listen carefully. And when she's done, I'm going to ask you if the statements are true and correct and if there's any corrections to anything she said that you would make uh, because you would be adopting that proffer as your testimony, okay? Oh, I just need you to say yes, Mr. Cooksey. I think, I think I, got the, I got the head nod. I just need it on the record. Yes, Your Honor. Okay, thank you. Ms. Cooksey? If Mr. Cumberland were called to testify, he would testify as follows. He would testify that he is currently a managing director at Alvarez and Marcello, A&M, 
and Dallas, where he leads the firm's restructuring compensation practice. He has over 30 years of experience advising on executive compensation matters, developing compensation strategies, and designing annual and long-term compensation arrangements. Mr. Cumberland would testify that he's been working closely with the debtor's management team in connection with the preparation for these Chapter 11 cases and has gained a comprehensive understanding of the debtor's compensation program. He would further testify that he is familiar with the key employer retention program, the CURP, and assisted with its preparation. Mr. Cumberland would then testify that, based on his familiarity with the global transactions being pursued through the transaction support agreement, he believes that the CURP is in the best interest of the debtor's estate and its stakeholders and is essential to the successful consummation of the anticipated global transactions. The most important asset that the debtors have is their highly skilled and dedicated workforce. The debtors have a relatively small workforce, but each debtor, but each person has significant responsibilities and performs key functions for both debtor and non-debtor entities in the areas of, among others, finance, accounting, treasury, IT, operations, strategic leadership and management, as well as executive functions such as legal counsel. Without the debtor's employees, the company's ability to operate its businesses and implement it and implement the global transactions described in the first day declaration would be materially impaired, if not impossible. Given, among other things, the timeline for these Chapter 11 cases and the intended widening down of the debtor's estate, the debtor's employees, along with the key roles they serve within the company, within the company's global operations, cannot be replaced. Therefore, retaining these employees is of utmost importance in these Chapter 11 cases. To provide a brief overview of the CURP, Mr. Cumberland would testify that the CURP provides for payments of cash awards to 10 key employees. Amounts to under the CURP would become payable in four substantially equal quarterly installments during the 2023 calendar year. The maximum aggregate cost of the CURP is $703,617. Further, he would testify that it is his understanding that no CURP participant is an insider as defined in the bankruptcy code. Mr. Cumberland would testify A&M played a role in developing the CURP and advising the debtors regarding the CURP. A&M concluded that the CURP was reasonable and within market following a review of retention plans put in place at comparable companies in bankruptcy, as well as the review of the historic compensation for the CURP participants. Mr. Cumberland would testify that his understanding is that the CURP participants perform a variety of important business functions that are vital to the company's operations and consummation of the anticipated global transactions. Additionally, many of the CURP participants have valuable institutional knowledge regarding the company's business operations that realistically cannot be replaced given the timeline for these Chapter 11 cases and the debtor's ultimate winding down. Moreover, the CURP participants have provided key support to the debtor's advisors with respect to the additional demands required by these Chapter 11 cases. Finally, Mr. Cumberland would testify that he believes that implementation of the CURP is justified by the facts and circumstances of these cases. He would testify that he and his team from A&M worked with the debtor's management team to identify appropriate CURP participants and create the terms of the CURP program generally and together with counsel advise the committee of independent directors regarding the CURP. Following the committee's consideration of the proposed terms of the CURP, 
the committee recommended the CURP for approval by the board, and following the board's consideration of the, of the CURP, the CURP was approved. Your Honor, that concludes the proffer of Mr. Cumberland. Okay. Uh, Mr. Cumberland, you heard the statements. Do you believe they're true and accurate? Uh, yes, Your Honor, I do. Any corrections you would make? Uh, no, Your Honor. Okay. Does anyone have any questions for Mr. Cumberland? Okay. Mr. Cumberland, I accept your proffer. Thank you. And if Your Honor has no additional questions, that concludes the evidence portion, and I'll pass it back to Ms. Bibloblop. Okay. Counsel? Your Honor? Yes. I know there's a box somewhere. That's um, Hector Durant. Mr. Durant, yes, I was going to come to you. I, I, <laughs> yes, I, I just had a quick comment on it. I appreciate the quick turnaround of documents and information that we requested from Debtors Council. After our review of those documents in connection with the CURP, we determined that we don't have any objection to the entry of the proposed order. Thank you very much, Mr. Durant. Alrighty. Where do we go? Oh, Ms. Bibbleblock. Yes. Ms. Bibbleblock. Yes, I think turning back to you. Sorry about that. Um, Mr. Grand beat me to the punch and I we wanted to thank him for working with us to get the motion heard on an excited basis and consensually. So thank you very much, the United States Trustee's Office. And then with that we then with that we would respectfully request Entry of the proposed order filed at docket number 105. Does anyone wish to be heard in connection with the CURP motion? Okay. I note that the CURP motion was filed at docket number 105. I'm going to grant emergency consideration of the motion. Um, I'm going to find that there's been proper notice of today's hearing and service of the motion based on the uh, proper court's review um, and the uh, statements from the United States Trustee's Office. Um, I'm going to grant the CURP. I'm going to say a couple of things here, though. Um, I do find that the implementation of this CURP is a sound exercise of the debtor's business judgment, and so um, I do find I've reviewed the um, the proposed CURPs, and there's no layups here or anything that would remotely refine one. I appreciate all the parties um, working quickly. I, I'm going to grant this CURP, but I think in general every CURP, uh, just like every motion, every request uh, is done on a case-by-case -case basis. And so, you know, um, you know, don't set it as a precedent for, you know, when you file one of these and ask for a hearing. Uh, I think every case, this case has its own pace. Um, and I respect the pace of the case, and I respect the agreement of the parties here. But um, just I, I think this case, under these circumstances, uh, it's appropriate to consider this motion um, at this time um, in light of kind of where we are and when plan confirmation is coming and the relief requested and the work that's gone into it and who are the recipients and the statements that were made. So I'm going to grant that. Uh, on the record, but you know, no one go out there and try to beat this record. Uh, you know, just every case has its own pace, and I respect this one. And so I'll 
sign this order. I do appreciate the work that uh, Mr. Duran um, has, and the United States Trustee's Office uh, has done. Um, my still, my understanding is that the order I should, or at least the one, the last one I reviewed was at 105. Is that the one you still want me to sign? Yes, that's the right one. Okay. Um, okay. I have signed that order. It is off to docketing. Um, Bill Block, you're a veteran. Um, I don't need to give you any accolades. Um, you know what you're doing. Ms. Cooksey, I will tell you, um, you've had an incredible opportunity today. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really proud that you took full advantage of it. I thought your, your, your direct was right on point, got right to the relief that was requested. Um, and I thought your questions were really good. I thought your proffer um, was communicated incredibly well, uh, well written, and you delivered it well as well, which is just as important, especially when we're doing uh, virtual hearings. Uh, you have set, you've thrown the gauntlet down, so now I've got to go challenge my clerks to be as good uh, when they appear. Um, but I'm really happy that you took uh, this so seriously. Um, so I thank you for, for that as well. Okay. Ms. LaHaye, maybe. Yes, Mr. Bimich, Ms. LaHaye, I was going to turn back to you and tell me where we go. I'll let Ms. LaHaye, I have one final uh, comment before we wrap it up, but I'll let Ms. LaHaye, if there's anything she'd like to address. Yeah, nothing else on the agenda for today. Uh, I would say we'll see you in two weeks, but that's subject to whatever final words Mr. Bimich has. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll still see you in two weeks, but, Your Honor, I'd like to uh, provide a special thank you at this time to Ms. Saldana, and if I can briefly explain. Uh, Mr. Higgins is in your court today, and as only Mr. Higgins can, he gave me what I will refer to since we're in a court proceeding as some uh, constructive feedback on Friday afternoon uh, about the hearing being set yesterday. <clears throat> and based on that, well after normal hours and over the weekend, I reached out to Ms. Saldana to see if we could reset from yesterday to today and get an additional day. And I got to tell you, Your Honor, she was incredibly responsive. And anytime people get emails from me, she was incredibly tolerant as well um, and very helpful. And so we got the hearing reset for today. And, Your Honor, just, just so that you know, uh, you were preparing for a contested hearing. So were some of the rest of us. Uh, but that additional day, I think, alleviated some of the concerns that I got in the constructive feedback from Mr. Higgins. But at the same time, it allowed the parties to engage in what has now turned out to be very constructive uh, settlement discussions. And we reached an agreement that, that you've heard about today and allowed this hearing to go the way that it went today. And I'm not sure, in fact, I'm fairly confident that if we had had it yesterday, because I had not reached out to Ms. Saldana until over the weekend and, it, and late at night, that that might not have been the case. So I just wanted to give a special shout-out to her for being very responsive and tolerant and various, uh, very much great assistance to us over the weekend, and so thank you. Oh, thank you very much. It's very, very much appreciated, and we're here to serve. Um, anything else? I will let everyone know. Mm -hmm. I believe all three orders have hit the docket. So you, you have what you need. Go you know, serve the disclosure statement, go solicit, go, you know, use the money under the interim order and let folks know that the CURP has been approved. I will see everyone in two weeks. Before I 
Let everyone go. Let me just open it up. Is there anyone else that wishes to address the court on anything on the matter set for today? Okay. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. Thank you. Thank you.